1: Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. I'm your host, Hugo Che. My guest for this show was suggested to me by my previous guest and great friend, Varina Patel. Thank you, Varina. Uh, it was a great discovery. and I'm very pleased to have uh, got to know the work and the personality of Susan Onisco. And I'm sure you will love her too. Susan is a travel photographer who has devoted the last decade to the art of capturing evocative stories from some of the most remote and extreme locations of our world. To Susan, people are the best representatives of a location, and her exotic, rugged or smiling faces are the first to flash through the memories of her trips. Catching people in unguarded, genuine states requires patience, something of which she has an abundance as a mother of four. In locales with few people, she has reflected seemingly human emotions in wildlife. With the lack of being unaffected by jet lag, flexibility in toting family along for adventures, detailed use of digital editing tools to convey intended mood and freedom from technical rules, Susan has proven she's always ready for opportunities to create something not seen before. It was a great pleasure to discuss some of Susan's most beautiful photographs with her and you will be able to see them uh, by going to the for this uh, interview, which you can find at ttim.photo forward slash 44. So in discussing those photographs with Susan, we understood the, the thought processes that led her to capture that specific scene, the conditions in which they were taken and the equipment she used. If you want to know what makes a great travel photograph, as opposed to a vacation snapshot, you should definitely listen to the interview. And now, enjoy my conversation with Susan Onisco. So good morning, Susan. Uh, It's uh, great to have you here on the show. And I've been uh, introduced to your work by our common friend, Varina Patel, who was recently a guest uh, on the show as well. And she recommended me that I look at your work and actually find it really great and inspiring. So a very warm welcome again. Uh, How's your day going?
2: My day is going great. And uh, thanks so much for having me and Verena for recommending me. It's wonderful.
1: Okay, so today we are going to to try something different from my usual uh, approach to an interview that we are going to discuss mostly about some of your images, because I, I look at your portfolio, and especially I looked at your blog, and you have some images that are Besides being great images, uh, they have very interesting backstories, so we're going to to talk about them. And of course, people who are just listening to the audio uh, will not be able to see the images. We don't have a video version of the podcast. Maybe one day I will do one, but not now. Uh, i will just say for the for the listeners that they can find uh, all the photos they will be on the blog post that goes together with this episode and they can find it at ttim.photo forward slash 44 so uh, without any i mean unless you want to 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 say something uh, in particular uh we'll just uh, go into into the images one by one and they are you have a great variety in your portfolio if I may say so you have some wildlife uh, pure landscapes and especially people I love your people shots so I try to uh, present uh, uh, a wide range of photos um, and uh, so let's start okay
2: that sounds
1: great so the first photo the first photo I would like you to talk about is uh, in, a, in a blog post called knee Deep. And the photo depicts two Adelia penguins. Is that the right term for them?
0: It is, it is. Uh,
1: it's, uh, it's very funny, those two, uh, the the position of those two penguins with their uh, heads closed and the curves they make. It's a very graphic image, uh, but it's also very, I would say, tender and funny. So, can you? Tell us a bit about the, the backstory behind this photo. Where was this taken? What were the, the circumstances of this photo?
2: And definitely. So it's one of my favorite images. And I my husband was actually the person who wanted to go to Antarctica. I like to photograph people. And there's not many people in Antarctica. So when I went, I was a little skeptical if I was going to love the trip. But I love those goofy, googly-eyed, I call this one googly-eyed adelis. They're, they're just these goofy little birds. And I think a lot of people, when you travel, they think you show up at a location and everything's kind of perfection. It's laid out for you. You just pick up the camera and shoot a couple shots and walk on.
0: Yeah.
2: And that's definitely not the case. <laughs> I don't think that's really ever happened, actually. So. And that was definitely the case here in Antarctica. We had went with a quark ship down there. And you only get a certain amount of time at each location. And we were we were we were very lucky because uh, we had great weather. And usually, you know, they talk about the Drake Passage and it being horrible and horrible weather. We had great weather, you know, overcast skies. We had one day of sun and we got off the boat with these uh, delis and we only had like 20, 25 minutes on land with them. And I didn't do enough research on the trip. I was really thinking I'd photograph penguins and, you know, beautiful snowy landscapes with little babies and and it'd be beautiful. And when we showed up in January, it was, of course, um, nesting time, birthing time. And there was a lot of penguin poop everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think one of the things we do with photography is we simplify and, and we make things look pretty and um that's what i did here you know we got up there and it was just a horrible mess of birds and i'll actually send you a picture of a photo my husband took which uh shows you what it really looked like there uh, yeah that that
1: would be definitely interesting because yeah you know people as you said don't, sometimes don't realize what the the real situation is you as photographers we try to to isolate the subject to make it the Photo to be about the subject and not uh, distracting elements, but uh, there are there might be many distracting elements, you uh,
0: know. Oh, yeah,
2: I, as was the case here, yeah. <laughs> and so you know, again, um, one of the things I like to do with my photography is to try different perspectives, whether that's getting super high or super low. You know, I think most of the shots that we take straight on are can be boring, right? Yeah. So, here. You know, I, I kept going lower and lower and lower to, to try to get those uh, penguins on a, on a very simple background as opposed to layers of other dirty penguins. Yeah. And, uh, and I found myself pretty much on the ground there. But by doing that, I ended up getting a nice neutral sky. And, could, you know, your eye knew exactly where to go, which was those birds. And I shot very fast in lots of frames. I, I don't even want to know how many pictures I took of these little birds to get them exactly in the right position. But it worked eventually.
0: Yeah,
1: it definitely works. And this is something that I, I mean, I tell many beginning photographers as well who want to to find the right composition in a crowded, confusing situation is to get down low because then your subject will stand up against the sky or against some background and not be... Especially when you are in a a crowded place, like, I don't know, I often go to Venice for the carnival in San Marco Square. It's like there's a million of people. But if you kneel down and you shoot up, you can get uh, your subject's... uh, uh, more or less isolated depending on the context so that, that's definitely i would like to ask what what kind of focal length did you use for that was that a telephoto
2: yeah yeah and i think i was i was pretty long maybe uh two to four hundred because i had a 70 to 200 with a 2x converter on it mm-hmm. yeah. and i also i like i like to use the d800 and that's a lot of megapixels and i can usually crop down and post if i need to also
1: and uh, what about the decision to go black and white with this?
2: You know, they're black and white. So <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty easy.
1: There, there was no much coloring. In no,
2: no. I, I do say I cleaned up a little bit of um, pinkish coloring on their beautiful white feathers. That was, of course, penguin poop.
1: It, it, it might as well be a color photograph for all we know. You know yeah. Gray, gray sky and black and white penguins. There is no, no real color there. So, yeah. But it's, uh, I, I think it helps with... Uh, with the graphical nature of the image. And uh, I know many people would have thought of maybe trying to fit the whole birds into the frame, but just by cutting them like that in, under this natural curve that leads the eye of the viewer towards the eyes of the penguins facing each other, it's uh, it's really, really nice. Okay, so, great, great. Uh, so, next one, which is... Uh, a similar subject, it's birds and it's birds in the snow as well. I was taken in uh, in Japan. I yeah. think these are cranes. So and another uh, another point about this photo similar to the, the one we talked about before is that the people who see this photo where you manage so masterfully to isolate your subjects don't realize how crowded the place can be. And I was reading about this in your story. This is actually a location that is has become very popular. And so, yeah, I, I don't want to, <laughs> to to say it all myself. I would like you to tell a bit about this uh, this location and uh, circumstances of this photo, which is called When Reality Bites, or at least the blog post is called When Reality
0: Bites.
2: Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, it's really funny that we're starting with all birds. I have, you know, I I like birds, but I am not technically a bird photographer, at least I wouldn't consider myself one. But you know, when you travel, you kind of have to be able to photograph anything at any time, because you basically don't know what's going to be around the corner. So um, these birds, uh, my sister lives in Japan. So Mm -hmm. I travel there pretty frequently. And I, I've always had these ideas when I travel in and, and Japan and the Hokkaido and the, these um, Japanese red crown cranes, they always bring to my head these images of delicate and beautiful and dancing and, you know, like the, the fine art Japanese prints of these birds. And so it was uh, a little upsetting when I got there and I was actually with a photo tour group and we showed up to take pictures of them and everyone's like, oh, we have to show up at like... 215 because they feed the birds at three o'clock and and they fly in and you need to be able to totally be set up so you can photograph them flying in and 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 they'll eat the fish and that's how you get your photo and so uh, I'll also send you a picture of what it really likes there because you you pay your fee and you go in and there's um, like a boardwalk set up and rows and rows of photographers at different heights and it definitely crushed my, my, my image of what I was going to get there. Mm-hmm. But I think as photographers, you know, at least I, I always try to come up with something that's more representative of what it felt like to be there. And, and plus, I, I always want to make something that I would hang on my wall. I figure if I want to hang it on my wall, maybe you'll want to hang it on your wall.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I, I use multiple exposure a lot. And, I, and it's kind of my go-to when I when I don't know what else to do. So what I did here was I was on a tripod, and I there was no snow on the day we went, so we just had these birds. And I looked for a good set of birds that had separation between them. And I photographed those birds, and this was a long, long lens shot. I think this was like a 1,000-millimeter lens. Oh. It was my 100 with a teleconverter on it. And I looked for separation, and I found a great set of birds, and I photographed them at F-16.
1: Is and that- Just uh, sorry to interrupt you, but is it is it possible there to get a, a good shot with a shorter lens? I mean, not many people have a 500 with a teleconverter, so what can they expect? Are there actually any birds that come closer? At You sh- yeah. you chose those ones because they were more in isolated, as you said, separated.
0: I-
2: Exactly. And I and really I think you could probably get away there with like a two hundred to four hundred mm-hmm. for sure or an eighty to four hundred. Um but you know, I was looking for my separation and, and those darn birds happen to be way far out there. So Yeah. <laughs> Got it. But, um so yeah, so I took the shot at F sixteen with, you know, just the birds and the separation between them. And then the second shot, the the they were trees in the background but they didn't have snow on them, so they just weren't very pretty. So then all I did was I I took the camera and I swiped up with a 30, uh, 30th of a second exposure to make those uh, trees just, you know, like straight artsy lines. Yeah. And then in camera, I combined those two images. Mm-hmm. And this is what I got.
1: It's very, very nice, very painterly effect. Uh, I think this goes under the
2: category of uh,
1: intentional camera movement, right? Is that how... People call it, yeah. Definitely. Very good. So, I mean, I I like this because I've seen a lot of uh, Japanese crane pictures uh, in the snow and so on. And uh, again, it's difficult to distinguish them from each other. Uh, It's one of those shots that many people get when they go there. Uh, I like the fact that you chose to to give it a different quality by using that that specific technique to to create something different so yeah great image again thank you hey. uh, next one uh, title of the post is always a girl scout and it's depicting two monkeys again i think these are from japan and we are still in the japanese well not japanese but still in the wild fi- wildlife realm and still in Japan. So what what about this picture? What were the circumstances? And uh, can you describe it a bit?
2: Sure. So um, if you ever go to this um, park in Japan where these snow monkeys are, you usually have to either stay at a location, a little hotel close to the park, or you can hike in from a different hotel. So I was with a group and we were hiking in from a different hotel but before i paid my fee to get in i made sure i had all the equipment ready that, because basically the monkeys are right there when you walk in mm-hmm. and i think you know you know just being a person we kind of get distracted sometimes you know with all the all the things we have to do oh let me pay my fee let me get my purse out let me do this let me do that and you always have to remember the, your photographs though and the, the, those ones they can happen at any time so you have to be ready mm-hmm. So I had determined that I thought the, it was snowy out and I thought the wildlife park was gonna be pretty busy with people. At least that's what I've heard. So I decided I'd just take one lens with like an 80 to four or one camera with an 80 to 400 lens on it and just be ready from the get go. So I you know, did a little test exposure, figured out what I needed and paid my fee and walked in. And sure enough, right beside me jumps up this mom and baby monkey. And I'm actually too close to fire it. So this is one of those cases where you can definitely use a shorter lens. And I take a few steps back and I fire off like six shots. And this was one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it was right there. It was my favorite picture from that location. And I spent like probably three days there. And it was 10 seconds into, into the park.
1: Yeah. So your, your, basically your first image was your best. Yeah, <laughs> we weren't able to. Uh, I like the way you, you framed it. I mean, uh, again, uh, I've seen lots of photos of these snow monkeys or macaques from Japan in the snow. And they're usually the, the ones with the, the. They're very funny and they're beautiful, of course, with the monkeys in the thermal pool, is that hot water basin uh, with the smoke behind them and so on, which are, which are great. But. Uh, there is some background included, and here, instead, you decided to frame closely onto their faces, excluding completely any background. And that might be because as you said, they were just really, really close, and you couldn't even go wider. But I think it works very well. It's, uh, it's just such a such a tender image of the mama monkey uh, covering the little monkey with her head. uh, And a little monkey, and I think this is also important, I think, for, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but for people who shoot wildlife, to have the animal look into camera, in camera. So their gaze is directed at you. And especially with monkeys, they are incredibly human. So you get to to see straight in their eyes and, and it lends the image an incredible strength, in my opinion. Do you agree?
2: Oh, definitely, and you know it's funny because we um, when I look when I looked saw this image after I took it. I mean it was it took me back. I'm I'm a mama four, so I, I just I love the uh, the love in the photo.
0: Yeah,
2: it's the purest love is the title, and I did um, I do work in post on my images. I shoot in raw, and I don't other images of these monkeys that you may see they're they're definitely a brighter red color. Yeah, true, and. Um, for me that it kind of didn't work with them especially for this image because it was more of a tender image and i i thought the red kind of competed with that so in post what i did was i to did a separate layer and made it black and white and then i reduced the opacity of that layer just to to make the image a little a little more lovey tender um as opposed to that bright red kind of which makes us think of like aggressiveness almost
1: yeah definitely true Okay, for the next image, we are going to go into a completely different subject. And we have some eggs here. And the title of the, the image is Eggs for Sale. There's a basket of eggs in the water with some light blue bowl behind it. It's a very, again, very graphical image, uh, but at the same time, evocative of a, of a certain place, maybe. Uh, can you, again, explain a bit uh, the, the genesis of this image and what it's all about?
2: Yeah, the um, and this was on the same trip to Japan. Actually, I think this is the town right outside the monkey park. Once you get back into the town, and I was just walking around taking images, and I saw this basket of eggs. And you know, I th- I think uh, first we take that, that that documentary shot, right? The one that's exactly what it looks like when we were there. And it included the, you know, sometimes I like to include like the price of whatever's being sold because it gives you an idea of where you're at but once i took this image and i looked at it i'm like oh you know it's kind of blah i had some plastic bags that were sitting next to the eggs that you could you know leave your money and and put the eggs in the bag and leave but it just didn't do it for me and i again i always try to make a print that's going to be hung on a wall and with those plastic bags it, it ruined the timelessness of the photo and i i I was thinking of what I could do differently. So I went low. And of course, if you go low on that, you lose the the eggs. So then I started playing. And and it's one of the reasons I love my D800. Um, I started taking the camera higher and higher. And there was no steps you could go up and get a higher vantage point. So so basically, I looked pretty silly. (laughs) But I was on my tiptoes, holding the camera flat, um, horizontally, to get a flat plane of those eggs in the basket. And I I shoot wide knowing with that D800 that I can crop in later. And I also knew that by shooting wide, all those lines would be kind of skewed. So in post I would have to um, fix that also. So I I gave a lot of extra room to do that. Mm -hmm. But the image that I got, well, it's in my kitchen. So (laughs) so I hung it on my wall and, um, yeah, I just think it, it, it was um, definitely a better image than the original one when I got there. And, you know, you may look silly and and people may look at you weird, but, you know, we're after the image. So.
1: But did you rearrange the elements in the, in the picture to give a pleasing composition or they were just arranged that way because of uh,
0: the yeah, way you were, found it?
2: They were actually just arranged mm-hmm. that way. Um, I, I did move the camera such that I got rid of the sign. Yeah, um, and the uh, the plastic bags. But other than that, I didn't touch the eggs. So
1: it, it looks very Japanese. I mean, in the way that the the Japanese people, the Japanese culture, is uh, all about perfection, formal perfection of uh, form and placement of objects and so on. So <laughs> maybe it's a it's a random arrangement, but it looks very. A very planned like an uh, ikebana composition or something. Maybe I'm totally off the mark here, but
2: no, I like I'm to think that. No, it's Probably right. So <laughs> uh, we'll just you know say it was a lucky shot, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's um, it's great, and it's great to hang in a kitchen. I mean, with the with the eggs there, it's uh, such a beautiful uh, and peaceful composition. And I love the the water. I mean, I think the water really makes it. If the eggs weren't. Uh, in the water, I don't think it would work as well, but it's uh, it lends uh, such a such a quality to it. So, and thanks for the tip about uh, yeah, you you basically were not looking through the viewfinder. Right?
2: No, not no. At all. You had
1: the camera held up in your in your hair uh, in your your hands. Sorry, with your arms extended, if I understand correctly. So you had to, to shoot a little bit wider because then you knew you had to some to fix it, realign it, uh, straighten it out in post.
2: Exactly.
1: Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, again, another very useful tip for, um, for people who want to take similar images. So thank you again. Uh, what's next? So we're moving out of Japan, but we're still uh, staying in, in Asia. And this is an image. It's called, uh, well, the blog post is called Quiet Observation. I think the image has a different title, I don't remember it exactly right now, maybe you want to say. And it's a group of uh, workers in a, what looks like a rice field or some kind of uh, agricultural field. And from their hats, it appears uh, that they might be in Vietnam. So, you want to say something about this image?
2: Oh, definitely. So actually, this title is uh, Vietnam Five. There's five people. Imagine that. Very, very creative on my part. So um, when I show up to a location, you know, basically, this was a day where I I was riding through uh, Vietnam with a driver. And I just, you know, the best photos are usually not the planned photos. It's the photos on the way somewhere. And we saw these workers in the field. And I'm like, oh, I I would love to shoot them. So we went out. And, you know, it's kind of like guns blazing, right? I I love to shoot portraits. That's, you know, although we have not talked about it yet, but that's, that's my main thing. So, you know, I went in and I'm photographing these workers and I'm using some off camera flash and, and they're, they're, they're very, they're very kind about the whole thing and very patient. And the sun's going in and out and the exposure is kind of all wonky sometimes. And I'm, I'm figuring that out. And, after a while, I'm like, I really felt like I was impeding on their day. And I, I didn't want to take away from their work. So I kind of, I stepped back and you know, I got some great portraits that day. But I, I, I just, I, once I started watching them, I noticed there was more of a, a rhythm to their work. And, and after a while, I noticed there, it actually was an assembly line. So there was one man who was walking around. He'd grab something. He'd walk back. And he kept doing this over and over again. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a great image. It's definitely not the image that I normally take. It's not a long-lens portrait. It's, it's uh, more environmental, again, more graphic almost. But it, it shows the, the moment, which is something I, I, I try to get in all my photography. Um, and so I just started shooting away. And you know, I know we talk about as photographers that decisive moment, and I really feel that I kind of got it here. Like that worker who was coming back. You know, if he'd have been a little to the left, a little to the right, it probably wouldn't wouldn't have worked as well. Or if he'd have been turned around, or if he'd have been carrying something, it wouldn't have worked as well. But uh, for me, this was my favorite image of the day, and it wasn't typical of, of what I, I intended to do that day. So,
1: yeah, and if I may say. So again, uh, the the separation of the subjects, like with the with the cranes uh, here, I think is essential. You don't have any any subject overlapping, covering any other, touching them, and so on. That that's one thing that uh, it comes to probably a second nature to you. You know how to to identify to those moments where the the subjects are separated, and uh, that's not many people uh, know that this lens to, to better compositions and the other thing is that the curve of their heads or their figures that are is just like this gentle S curve that goes through the whole picture that uh, again it's it's really a decisive moment you get them in the, the, the right position with the right uh, attitude and so on it's um, again a great image and because you know what you, you are doing <laughs> so
0: trying. <laughs>
1: great so okay we're going more into people now which you said is your specialty. and we have this picture taken in argentina of two tango dancers called second chances so yeah please tell us about it
2: yeah this is and and i titled the second chances only because i i had been to patagonia several years ago and when i was there uh, the first time it was horrific it was like 60-miles-per-hour catabatic winds, uh, tripods, no matter how heavy, were still moving a little. And uh, I didn't even know there was really mountains down there or tips of mountains because the weather was so bad. When, the first time I went, we never saw them. <laughs> so I traveled back again this year, and uh, I had just an amazing trip. It, was, uh, it couldn't have been better, uh, landscape-wise, and I'll be posting more of those images soon. But... It was just a great trip, and it started out with these wonderful tango dancers, and we photographed them. I was with a tour group, and we photographed them in La Boca, which is known for these beautiful, colorful um, houses yeah. and, and buildings, and it, it, it's really uh, it's just a jaw-dropping place. It's, it's so pretty and colorful, and I love color in my photography. And, the, and this couple was incredibly passionate. They, they hit poses and danced around, and I, it, it was just a really cool experience. But as I, I photographed them, I started to realize that all that color in, in the background, it, it became more of a distraction. Like, what I was really wanting to photograph was the, the intensity between the two dancers, and, and maybe not necessarily in a tango pose, but I just, I just wanted to get the feel for tango and the, and the passion and the people who dance it, and so when I took this image, I'm like, huh, that actually, it worked pretty well. Um, I didn't, you know, it doesn't show the environment that much, but I really mm-hmm. think it got to the, the heart of the moment, which was between those two dancers.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a very intimate moment, and uh, interestingly, they were not dancing at this, at that moment. I mean, the guy is. Uh, <laughs> Fixing his jacket, to her, and she is there looking away in the distance. It's uh it's an intriguing image. You you wonder what they are looking at, and what is going to happen next. Maybe they are going to, to start dancing in a in a minute or so. Yeah, again, very, very interesting image. Uh, just just so people know, uh, if you go to La Boca in Buenos Aires, do you normally see people dancing tango in the street, or was it somehow arranged?
2: This was definitely an arranged one, I so. <laughs> which, you know, it, it works out really nice because you can place them, you know, yeah. in a general area that you want them to dance in. So um, I, and, you know, it was this is like and I do it a lot with my people photography. I, I call them in between moments. You know, you can mm-hmm. have someone and, you know, if they're not a model, posing is difficult. Yeah. You know, people look uncomfortable and stuff. But I always seem to find these photos that it's when they're resting or or when they're adjusting a button on their suit, or or it's these in between moments where they they let their guard down, and and I think it just shows who they really are. Yeah. And I usually get my I think my most effective photos during that time.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to to mention that because I wouldn't want people to think that they can just go to Buenos Aires and find people dancing in the streets at all time, <laughs> yeah. And I'd be disappointed because i say, oh, there's nobody dancing tango in the streets here? Why?
2: <laughs> yeah, usually, I mean, like, if you're going, like, outside of a restaurant, there or something, there is yeah. dancers at the restaurant, so you can photograph them. Okay. But it wouldn't be the same background.
1: Great. So next one is, again, an unposed, candid shot of people uh, from a completely different part of the world. It's titled Just Around the Corner. Uh, where, where, where where was this taken? Um, this
2: was taken in Ireland.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, it, it was one of those moments. I I think a lot of times we for people photography it's more about predicting behavior necessarily than it is about photography sometimes. And just waiting and being patient and being observant. And this was one of those cases. I had had some friends, and they went into a grocery store in town, and and the light was going down, and it was beautiful. And I thought, wow, I don't need any groceries. <laughs> I'm not much of a shopper. So if I go down this road and make a left or a right, I'm betting there's going to be some interesting side on the buildings, you know. And for me, I'm looking for color. So I'm like, ah, oh, maybe there will be a colorful building. So. I walked down there, and sure enough, you know, I, I hit the jackpot. There was this yellow house and, and this interesting side lighting coming down, and I'm like, ah, oh, and I took a few pictures, and it, and I was happy, but I waited around a little bit, and I saw this older man come out of the house, and I waved to him, and and he ended up sitting down in the doorway, and I got some images of him just sitting in the doorway, and I was totally happy with those, and, and I could have packed up and left, but like, no, oh, you know. I, I have plenty of time. I'm just going to wait and see what happens here. And I'm standing across the street from, from them. And I notice out of the corner of my eye this little kid, and he has a toy with his mom. And he must know this gentleman because, of course, he ran up to the gentleman and he was all excited. And he helped him open the toy and everything. And sure enough, just like any kid, he started, you know, rolling this little choo-choo train around the ground. And I am, like, in photographer's heaven because, you know, it's got mm-hmm. this beautiful sidelight, beautiful color, you know, in this moment again. And, and I had to sit there and wonder, you know, well, you know, what's the relationship between these two people? And, and what is that gentleman thinking? And, you know, obviously you know what the kid's thinking. The kid's just excited to have a toy. But, again, it ended up being one of my favorite images from Ireland. And it definitely wasn't one I planned to get while there, so –
1: yeah i think we're starting to see a trend here uh if i l- let me explain what i mean but what what distinguishes uh, a great photographer a great travel photographer especially from somebody who just takes uh, snapshots during their vacations and uh, it's not so much the technique i mean okay uh it's important to know how to select an appropriate aperture and shutter speed and ISO and the right lens and so on. But what I'm seeing here is three qualities that are normally not taught in the instruction manual of a camera or even in most photography books. And I would like to summarize them as attention, intention and patience. I mean, you must take, you must be attentive, you must be about your surroundings you must pay attention to how things relate to each other when they create a pleasing composition like with those uh, five people working in the rice fields in vietnam or in this case with the the boy using his toy and intention you must be intentionally seek those moments you must have an idea of what you want sometimes it's just a Uh, a random lucky shot, but most of the time uh, you cannot just be lucky all all the time, so you need to to plan your shot, at least to a certain extent. And you need patience. I mean, you might have stayed at the corner of this street in Ireland for some time, waiting for somebody something to happen, and many people were just okay, there is nothing here interesting let's just walk away. But you had patience, and your patience was repaid. So yeah, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think those qualities and thinking about uh, the these qualities and uh, being always in the moment is what really distinguishes a great photographer by a random snapper.
2: Do you agree? I, I, I do agree. And thank you. That's very kind to say. Um, and I think, you know, that was part of the reason I started writing these blog posts, too, because. You can look online. I mean, information is so readily available. And cameras are so smart now if you stick it on P. I mean, you're going to get a a pretty good shot. But... You know, what I've always been interested in, especially when I've learned from other photographers, is is what's in their head. Like, why did you choose to do that? Why, did, why didn't Why did you walk away? Why did you choose to go to this location instead of this location? You know, I, I've always been interested in, in what's in their head. Why did you decide to use that technique? Sure, I've heard about that technique, yeah. but I want to know the whys of it. And I thought by writing these blog posts that that would help other people, too.
1: Yeah absolutely and so I'm so really grateful that you you decided to to share your thought processes behind these photos with us because uh, I think that that's really invaluable. Okay so we have maybe one last image to go through and for a change I'm decided to to select an inanimate subject. So we had one before but this is only the, the second inanimate subject we have here and this is a, a juniper tree. And you say in, uh, in the post that it's uh, it was shot in Dead Horse Point uh, State Park in Utah. And I think this is an infrared image. Uh, I think the, the title is Ethereal. Okay, so what about this image? It looks a bit different from your usual style.
2: Yeah, You know, I will say it kind of fits with my normal landscape style. I'm not, you know, I'm not a wide-angle lens type person. I say that's probably my least uh used lens in my bag and i i really like to capture more intimate landscapes so and again that whole simplicity thing like you you know your subject and and it's very easy on the eyes and, and your eye knows exactly where to go and so again i was with a, a group here and we went to um the park and set up for sunrise and tripods and everything and the sun started to come up but it kind of just You know, it wasn't one of those super wild moments. Hmm. And years ago, I started carrying, uh, I convert one of my older cameras into an infrared camera. I've always loved the look of black and white infrared photography. And the, uh, uh, lately what I did was I've converted a DF camera a Nikon DF, which I don't know if you know that camera, but it's very lightweight and it's kind of old school. It has like none of the video bells and whistles, that kind of stuff, but it makes it super lightweight. And I can always keep it in my bag. I used to convert my older cameras, which were bigger and, and just harder to carry around. But so I have this little infrared and I always stick it in my bag now. And this was one of those moments where I'm like, I'm going to try it. And I, I found this tree and I don't know all the conditions aligned. It's funny with infrared, Because you can have like a midday puffy cloud shot in infrared and it works really well. Or like this, it was just kind of a a soft light kind of day with a delicate sky and then this tree and it works. And it's just so cool to always have it in my bag and know that I have that option to try it. And it's kind of a learning experience as I go along as to what works with it and what doesn't work with it. But I think on this day, it definitely worked.
1: Yeah, it's a great image. Uh, I've got my own image of a juniper tree at uh, Dead Horse Point, uh, and now I want to to throw it away and hide it and never <laughs> show it again because it's yours is so much better. So yeah, great, uh, great photo again. Finally, uh, it's not not a specific picture, but you, because you mentioned that to me when we exchanged emails prior to this conversation that you are going to 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 share and talk a little bit more in, in your blog about those uh, polar bears photos that you took in canada so we we're just going to i mean there's like a dozen of them uh, so we're not going to to go through all of them in detail i will just will just put a link in the show notes for these images because they are just again so great uh, Wildlife and I mean the cuteness overload of some of them with those bear pups is <laughs> yeah. is too great to not to share. So yeah, uh, just just we'd just like to to know a bit about uh, the, the circumstances of that that specific trip. Uh, what does it take to to get those bear shots?
2: Well, first of all, I will say there needs to be bears. Yeah. <laughs> and before I went on this trip, uh, I had researched a bit, and you know it's a it's a pricey trip to get up to Churchill, and you're not guaranteed to see bears. You know, you can go during a certain window, but if you know the bears go to the ice early, the bears aren't there. Mm-hmm. so i I have to put that disclaimer out there. Um, and so when I went to to Churchill, I actually I had had friends who had done the tundra buggy. And had gotten some great images on the tundra buggy. But I've always wanted to get something more, you know, uh, a different perspective. And one day on Facebook, I saw an image of a line of photographers on the ground shooting, sparring polar bears. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's what I want to do. And so I had to do some research back, but I actually found it's through Churchill Wild. Uh, It's the Seal River Heritage Lodge. And they do ground-level polar bear safaris. And so last year, I went up there with a girlfriend for her 40th birthday. And again, I, I, I have to say, I had heard stories that people didn't see bears on this trip. So I actually booked a separate trip, and I ended up staying in Canada for like three weeks. Because I also did uh, Frontiers North. They have a tundra buggy lodge. And so that was my backup plan if I didn't see bears on the first trip. I figured that the the lodge uh, and the tundra buggies would actually get me out further so I could definitely get a bear image. <laughs> mm-hmm. And But lucky for me, we saw bears the entire time. Uh, the Silver River Heritage Lodge is beautiful and they take you out for like two to three hours in the morning and in the evening. Uh, to shoot polar bears and they actually have polar bears like all around their lodge. Usually we'd hike like three to six miles a day and bears would be right there. Um, You have bear guides with you for protection which they never really needed to do anything. Uh, They kind of stomped their feet if a bear came by us or yelled or once I believe they had to throw a stone near a bear and it took off and Mm -hmm. left us alone. But it was the most exciting photographic trip of my life to have a bear, say twenty-five, a polar bear, like twenty-five feet from you.
1: Wow. Yeah, and it shows so so well in those images. So again, we'll we'll put a link so people can go and and have a look. And um, any trips you have planned for uh, for this year or the next? Where are you going up to next?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna. So I, I'm actually headed to Germany mm-hmm. in, in a couple of weeks. I have a a bunch of photos in the Berlin Photo Biennial over there, and I'm really excited about that. I've never been to Germany, so mm-hmm. and from there I'm gonna head to Romania, which is one of my favorite places to photograph people. I go to this little uh, area called Mara Mares and uh, Bukovina, and it's kind of like Europe, but you're stepping back in time. Yeah, you know, traditions prevail. Uh it's just a it's a wonderful place to shoot people. So I'm going there. Have Cuba planned. Uh Baja to shoot whales in Norway next year. So I've got I've got a few things planned. I usually plan out a year in advance. So
1: So I'm looking forward to see your next uh, portfolios and maybe we'll do a, another interview when you have new new images to share. I'm sure the the listeners here will uh, will appreciate uh your uh, your explanations and we'll go to the links that we will put in the in the blog post again I will remind it this is at ttim.photo/44 uh before we wrap it up would you like to say where people can find more about you just so they can just check out your website maybe
2: yeah you know susan onesco photos susan onesco photography anything will get you there i'm on facebook and instagram mainly And yeah, just Google
1: my name. So Onisko is spelled O-N-Y-S-K-O. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Great. So thanks again. Anything you would like to add before we say goodbye?
2: no no I, I i you know thanks for having me i i'm you know it's it's very cool to talk about the photos after the fact and i i think other people hopefully learn something from it and and i know by writing these blog posts and stuff i've actually learned more i think about photography and the thought process too so
1: yeah definitely agree with that so thanks again for all the the tips and uh, any information you gave us today and uh hope to to talk to you again soon until next time, uh, have a nice day and take care. Thanks. So this was another wonderful conversation with a great photographer and I'm sure there's a lot to learn from the work of Susan Onisco. If you want to find all the links we mentioned in this episode and especially take a look at the images we discussed, head over to our website at ttim.photo forward slash 44. And that's all for this week. I would just like to Announced that next week, our guest will be uh, the wonderful travel and humanitarian photographer Kate Siobhan Mulligan, who will tell us all about the joys of giving. Stay tuned.